Hello and welcome to the London School of Theology podcast. In this week's episode, we have a guest speaker. London School of Theology. Forming disciples. Resourcing churches. Impacting society. Thank you so much. Uh, yes, yeah, so I say when I was asked um, how, how long this was going to be today, I was thinking back of an experience what seems like a lifetime ago. At the very beginning of my university teaching, I got to teach Introduction to Music, non-major course, you know, first-year students, uh, and I had three sections of it, and they met all in a row. And so it was like 1 p.m., 2 p.m., 3 p.m. Um, so the exact same course, exact same material, and so um, I always felt bad for people. <laughs> I felt most confident about the second, you know, the second course, because by then, you know, the first one, you're just trying to, uh, you know, trying to find the material and get through it. The second, you know, time around, it's like, yeah, I know what I'm talking about. But the third time, I felt bad for those students, because after, like, you get, at least I find myself, after I get warmed up, then the stories start flowing, and I find I can't get through the material in an hour. I'm just like, I you know, it took me, you know, 40 minutes in the first class and 45 in the second, and then it's already time to go in the third. So anyway, with, with that, thank you again for the warm welcome and thank you for being here today. And so um, in our time together, you know, when I was told the purview of, of this seminar, I was asked um, a few years back to, you know, to pre- prepare something kind of similar um, with insights for people going into Christian ministries of various sorts from uh, my home discipline of ethnomusicology. So big word for, you know, simple idea, ethno culture um, and musicology, study of music. So the study of music as a part of culture is what ethnomusicology um, uh, does. So anthropology of music, musical anthropology, I mean, those are some other, um, other terms for it. And so in our time together today, It's my hope that you come away with some new techniques and conceptual tools um, so that you can better understand the unique congregational music cultures of which you're a part. I think that this idea, as we'll um, we'll explore it together, has a um, a lot of power in explaining what our congregations do musically in worship and, um, yeah, so introducing this framework, the model of a music culture, I hope will help you interpret the musical practices that you see and hear in new ways. So we're going to apply these um, insights specifically to Christian congregations, though really any musical setting, um, they'll work. We'll focus on talking through a little bit. I know that some of you, of course, with um, with Rebecca here, I'm sure that many of you have an idea of what ethnography is. For those that haven't taken classes with her, I'll give a kind of a quick and, quick and dirty um, definition. And we will... Um, this seminar is kind of, it's about taking a step back from evaluation and first learning to see, or more importantly, to hear more clearly and more comprehensively before we get to evaluation and, you know, the kinds of which is necessary, um, certainly, but, um, but sometimes I think we rush 
to, um, to get to the what's good, what's bad, you know, what's, what's ugly, what's beautiful, um, before seeing and hearing clearly. So we will then work on, uh, in the second part of the session, I'll say the handout that uh, um, uh, my colleague referred to, we will um, be looking at that and dividing, and you're going to have to talk in small groups to each other, nothing scary, nobody's coming up to the, to the podium or anything, but, uh, but we'll talk through some of the, uh, the ideas there. First, let's lay a foundation, um, though. If I could have the, I'll say the next slide. Uh, yes, so, um, oh, this is what I just went over. So we are going to define what music culture and ethnography are, understand how our ideas of culture, because we hear this word thrown around all the time, what does it even mean? Understand how our ideas of culture have changed, identify some of the challenges of understanding our own music cultures and learn and this ethnographic framework for observation, the model of a music culture, and then your job um, is going to be applying. So, but first let's lay the foundation. So we're looking at music culture through the lenses of the Christian congregation. But what is a congregational music culture and why does it matter? I think, yeah. Um, so when it comes to our churches or our gatherings, our ministries, we know that each local gathering um, you know, for worship has its own unique history, geographic location, demographic makeup, and mission. And this is why trying to find a one-size-fits-all approach, uh, which unfortunately we just keep doing over and over again uh, as, uh, as the Christian church, trying to find these you know, one-size-fits-all models that are, going to, um, that are going to work. And then when we try to apply them so often, they backfire, especially when it comes to music. So I think as church music musicians and leaders and teachers, uh, we need to develop a deep understanding of our congregation's unique music culture in order to knowledgeably, to choose uh, wisely to adapt um, musical resources, resources for worship that engage uh, our congregations holistically, that engage their minds and hearts and, uh, and spirits. So for our purposes today, I'm going to suggest we define music culture in this way. Next slide, yes. What is a congregational music culture? Okay, it is the unique collection of ideas, activities, repertories, and physical objects, materials, that characterizes the music of a local Christian gathering. So if that seems kind of dense and a lot of things packed in there, we will discuss each of these, um, the ideas, activities, repertories, and materials um, in what follows. But, uh, so congregational music cultures. They have elements that they share in common, but also characteristics that are totally unique. So it's true that, you know, all of our ideas and activities and repertories and physical, you know, objects will have come from somewhere and probably will be part and parcel of other Christian traditions. And, um, so I want to go on a little bit of a caveat here and explain some important changes in how we understand culture, kind of what, what we mean by this and some, and some, um, some older notions that we kind of no longer, um, uh, no longer are referring to. So culture, as, uh, as some of you might know, that is, uh, well, I'll say, 
I would attribute it to anthropologists, but really it was kind of borrowed from you know, bacterial cultures like growing, you know, growing things. Uh, but anthropologists take this word and they're just like, well, groups of people do a lot of the same things as bacteria. You know, they form um, colonies, they, um, you know, they, they spread out in different ways and um, like each you know, little, um, you know, again, going with our bacteria uh, metaphor, you know, you have different bacteria growing in each of these, um, in each of these cultures, becoming, having different characteristics, um, different, um, different elements of them. And so uh, culture was this concept that anthropologists then used to describe the whole set of ideas and practices that were shared by a particular group. But in the latter part of the 20th century, our notions, our ideas about culture um, began to change. And um, scientists who studied groups of people thought, maybe this you know, kind of sealed <laughs> in, in, a, um, in an environment you know, way of, um, of thinking about culture isn't, um, isn't the best or most accurate way to think about how groups of people interact and how ideas and practices get from one place to the other. Um, they thought that, you know, it probably this model overemphasized what people had in common, and it sometimes made it look like their ideas or practices were more stable or more shared than they actually were. And uh, say an intriguing thing happened when more women started to become anthropologists. They found out that sometimes, you know, they came into a culture uh, at wherever they went, you know, in the in the world, and found strikingly different things than other people who had studied that culture. And the, the question of what's the deal, um, they found that their predecessors had only talked to the men. And so, yeah, so anthropologists went in, and sometimes there were, I mean, admittedly, sometimes there were good reasons for that. Some societies would, you know, were, were very segregated, and it would have been, um, you know, a breach of all kinds of codes to let this, you know, strange male figure into gatherings with, um, with women in the community, but... One of the things that they found is, oh, if we talk to a whole you know, range of people, we get a very different idea of what animates this group of people, what their values are. Um, and we start to get the idea that maybe these come into conflict um, more times than, uh, than not. Um, generation also started to make a bigger and bigger difference um, as youth connected with other groups on national and global scales through media and music. So, and then the question of what do we do with population movements like diasporas or the way culture moves along with people and media and, yeah, I'll say London. I mean, just London. <laughs> that's, that's really all I need to um, uh, say as an example there. So, um, yeah, so culture is far more complex and messy and interesting, I think, than it was given credit for in the old model. So I, th I think the next slide talks about, yeah, kind of these changing ideas of culture, going from you know, something that is contained, that's relatively static, um, that's homogenous, you know, the emphasizing these shared aspects, to something that instead is constantly changing, is dynamic, um, 
that yes, preservation and creation um, of, of new, new aspects are, are part and parcel of culture. And then again, the heterogeneity, the internal and external forces that causing uh, differentiation among members even of the, you know, of the same group. And then tension and struggle. You know, sometimes I think those of us in ministry, we hear those words and we, Oh, tension! You know, struggle. Tension is a is a terrible thing. Not necessarily. I mean, there are there are ways that uh, you know there are healthy, obviously healthy ways to um, to deal with the tension that is going to happen within any group. But so when we're talking about a music culture, we are you know using this idea of culture that's kind of over here on the on the right. So if I can get the next uh, the next slide, uh, so culture. Um, <laughs> so to a uh, say an animal or animal metaphor here. So culture is something that exists both outside of us and inside of us and all around us. Um, you know we internalize it and we we help to you know we help to create it. And people often say that um, culture is to humans like water is to a fish. And that question of can a fish ever truly understand what water is if it's you know in it all the time? And people have also um, you know uh, questioned whether people can understand. To what degree can people understand the cultures they're part of? Um, and you know, applying that to our ministry situations, can church ministers and leaders, do we have any hope of understanding our own congregational music cultures when oftentimes the forest can get completely lost in, you know, in all of the trees looming in front of us? And this is where here, I think I am an optimist. I would say, yes, that fish can understand the water. <laughs> but part of it under, uh, involves finding ways to get out of the water, or at least find some different water um, to be in. And here, <laughs> yeah, so here I want to invoke another common expression, like a fish out of water. So a situation where we feel completely out of our element, like we didn't belong. So even though being a fish out of water is uncomfortable, there are wonderful things that come from it. So by jumping from one bowl into the other, like the little fish on the screen is doing, we learn a lot about things that are very different um, from us. And moving away from talking about fish and back into to ministry, this is why we so often learn a lot about our own congregations when we visit other places. Has anybody experienced that? That you go to another church and you think, oh, <laughs> I never would have thought of doing X, Y, and Z. I never would have thought of integrating an instrument that way or putting a song right here or doing a responsive reading. I loved, I'll say, what the chapel worship team did this morning with having us sing His Love Endures Forever as a refrain, you know, as we were reading the psalm. I mean, a beautiful, um, you know, something that, something I learned and will, you know, will take back to, to my own context. So, um, Observing other congregations and churches help us understand our own by opening our eyes and ears to new possibilities. Um, but, you know, let's be honest, especially if we're in church ministry, we can't just go to other churches all the time <laughs> and, you know, so, so to try to learn more, you know, more about our own. So what, are, so in that case, what do we do? Um, what do we do there? What are some obstacles um, that we face when trying to observe and listen in our own settings? I think next, next slide. Yeah. So some challenges that we face when trying to 
look differently, to see differently, to hear differently in those settings that we're really familiar with. You know, one of them, honestly, is you know, is proximity, uh, is being too close. To, um, to something, to, to a phenomenon. And that's where um, much of what we will talk about in kind of the second half of you know, my talk here, after we get past the, like the um, cultural and methodological uh, preliminaries, is how we go about creating some productive um, distance. And we can do that in a number of ways. My favorite way is through a, um, a rubric for structured observation that we try out on all of you and, uh, and hope that you kind of enjoy um, making application. And then, um, so have a you know, lack of tools to produce new insights. Um, I think, you know, in some ways, the being equipped with tools for new insights is probably, uh, you know, one of the most valuable features of a theological education. Um, you're getting a lot of different tools to put in your toolboxes um, here. And um, lack of frameworks, um, again, you know, frameworks to interpret things differently. I'm giving you another one uh, today. And then um, sometimes our own, you know, unexamined assumptions or inferences come into things. Again, this is where the, what I talked about earlier, where I think a lot of times as Christians, we, especially as people preparing for ministry, as leaders, we rush to judgment. <laughs> we don't give something a chance to, you know, to, to sit, Maybe go talk to a few other people about you know how you know how something struck them. Um, who knows? Maybe even um, do some do some even more social sciencey um, stuff like um, um, give our congregations a, you know an anonymous survey to kind of to collect some collect some data to try to figure out what's going on. So when we're too close to something, again, sometimes we need to create distance. And like a zoom lens for our minds that helps us go back and forth between being close to something and being further away. And I want to talk about a framework that's going to help us hone our powers of observation, again, specifically um, when it comes to congregational music and, uh, and worship. So um, just like we're, we're borrowing the word culture um, from social scientists, who I guess borrowed it from bacteriologists, uh, we are going to um, borrow a series of tools developed by social scientists and music scholars to study culture. If I could get the next, the next slide, please. Um, so anthropologists designed a method, or as we'll see, like a set of related methods known as ethnography. And ethnography is, next slide, um, uh, one definition, it's a research method. It uses firsthand experience to gain knowledge about a group of people. So the researcher, his, him, him or herself, is you know, the tool, is the, you know, the research tool that's coming and we see someone who's conducting an interview um, there. I love a definition that um, I ran across a few years ago and then of course I didn't write down where it came from so I could give it the appropriate credit. But um, let's see, I'll go back to the last slide please. The, the art and science of observing and listening. 
And increasingly, ethnography, at the time that I was kind of getting started doing PhD work and things, it was um, not as common as it is now. Now there are a number of people conducting theological ethnography. And one of the first people to do that in relationship to music and worship, now if I could have the next slide, please, is, um, is Mary McGann. So Mary McGann is an American Catholic theologian, also a musicologist in liturgical studies, studies worship, and she's got, I would commend to you, this excellent little book, you know, written, I think, 2002, 20 years ago now, but every bit as, as relevant. It's also, for those of you, you know, thinking, oh, one more book, it's also very short. It's got like three or four chapters. It's 100, 120 pages, something like that, so nice, short book. Um, but her, she talks about the goals of ethnography in her book, Exploring Music as Worship and Theology, as to develop sustained detailed and polyvocal descriptions of musical performance rooted in the understandings and categories of those who perform. So again, needing to, you know, not just kind of sit by yourself and you know, your own counsel. It's about engaging like these people are in, um, you know, in musical traditions and learning, uh, learning from others. And so if I could get the next slide, Ethnographic methods, you know, there are a lot of different methods and different, you know, different projects um, that I've done with research has called for different emphases on these. And so, but uh, the toolbox generally includes interviewing, observation, and uh, the ones in bold are the ones we're going to talk more about today. Free and structured observation, participation, so going in and not just sitting on the sidelines, but as the community allows you, learning you know, learning how to perform their, uh, their music, learning how to sing in whatever style that you're studying, surveys, and then documentation of various, um, of various kinds. And I will say also that um, you know, ethnographic methods, they play well <laughs> with, uh, with other kinds of methods. Again, theological ethnography using these in, um, in parallel to theological reflection and putting it in dialogue with um, with people within the uh, the theological tradition. Also, um, in my field in ethnomusicology, oftentimes ethnographic methods are put together with musicological, you know, with transcribing, you know, in notation, what people are doing and um, and kind of dealing with the, uh, the sound materials as well. So, um, two kinds of observations, what I'm calling free observation and structured observation. So free observation, which you know, can be helpful up to a point, is kind of the observation that we do most of the time. <laughs> when, we, when we set aside time, we're just like, I'm just going to, I'm gonna watch and see what happens. And so you know, an example of free observation in you know, your church service would be to go in and like jot down what stands out to you. Another kind of fun thing to do is um, is role playing, and I'm not talking about you know don't don't go don't say that I told you to go larping in your you know in your church or anything, uh, but role play like if I were a first time visitor walking into this space, I'm going to go sit somewhere I wouldn't ordinarily sit, um, and I'm going to you know kind of take on a different mindset. That can also be um, a useful thing to do, but that's useful you know kind of up to a point. 
but a lot of times, um, you know, it's helpful, but it has limitations. Sometimes we don't know what to look for, or we simply hear what we want to hear or what we expected to hear. And this is where having a framework to guide our observations is so, so helpful. Um, so we are now going to, we are to the model of a, model of a music culture, if you could please um, uh, go on here. So the, in the definition that I gave you a little bit earlier, you'll notice um, these same words, um, reoccurring ideas, activities, repertories, and material culture. But let me tell you a little bit about this, this tool and kind of the history of it and why I think it's so applicable to, um, to congregations. So um, ethnomusicologist Jeff Todd Titan, who is an, um, a professor emeritus at Brown University in the US, um, he had a long, well, still he's, he continues to, to write and publish and, uh, and research even in his retirement. But throughout his distinguished career, Professor Titan researched a variety of, he started out looking at American folk and religious musics. And some of his most well-known work is from a close ethnographic study of a small Baptist congregation in uh, the rural United States in the Appalachian Mountains. And so um, his, his ideas, what I think is neat about that is he's, uh, you know, he would not identify as, as a Christian, but so many of his models came out of the study of the church. So in some ways, I feel like it's just kind of bringing, bringing the model back, you know, back home to apply, um, to apply what came out of his study of a church initially back to, uh, into the congregation. So his model is this, is um, he says there are ideas about music. So these include um, beliefs about music, aesthetic preferences, contexts, um, and, uh, and histories. Activities involving music making. And so uh, a lot of the activities involve um, uh, you know, who is involved, questions of, you know, who leads, <laughs> who is allowed to lead, who's on center stage, who's elsewhere, where, what kinds of performing groups, you know, do you have in your congregation? Is there um, a worship team and a choir and, uh, I don't know, kazoo ensemble? I don't know. Um, <laughs> I just like to, I, I enjoy saying that if anybody has one. Uh, repertories. So this component includes uh, characteristics of the music like um, style, genre, text, as well as processes of, so how did people come up with it? How did they compose it? Did they compose it on, you know, on the spot as the result of the um, inspiration of the spirit? Did they, you know, work on it on, in staff notation for, you know, for six months before it was, before it was ready to, um, to be used in a service? And then, of course, transmission. You know, how did the music get to the people? Did people come to the service already knowing the songs or expecting to hear, you know, certain things because they've been listening to them, um, you know, sharing them on social media or listening to them on the radio throughout the week. So the last component is material culture. And this refers to the, the tangible, the physical objects that are required to create or perform or transmit the music. So musical instruments, 
are probably the most obvious aspects of material culture within uh, within a music culture. But of course, there are so many more you know, uh, other significant parts. These include printed materials like hymn books or song books, electronic media like screens, <laughs> uh, projectors, amplifiers, microphones. I mean, anything that's used um, as a material object, as a physical object to, uh, to make music. And you could include in the materials category, you know, the built environment itself. Because we know that that, of course, has you know, major effects on what happens in a space. You know, perhaps you want a choir in the back, but there's nowhere to put the choir in the back. Or like, you want to put the, in my church, it's like if we ever want the choir to uh, just sing in the front, we'd have to move the first couple of pews because there's, you know, because there's no room um, in the space for them in the front. Thank you for listening to the London School of Theology podcast. To find out more about LSD and our courses, please visit our website 